Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. All right. We are ready. No, we're not. My music's still out loud. This is Harry Day. I've been listening to Veruca Salt because they're badass. I need to shut that off. Oh. <laughs> so, welcome to Two True July with Harry Day. It's been a little while. Um, my voice is not as hoarse as it was this morning. My son and I spent the weekend up at Mississippi State and went to three baseball games and we sit right on the outfield wall with friends um, who grill. Everybody's grilling up and down the outfield wall all the way around, left field through center all the way to right. We sit out in uh, right field <clears throat> and it's just common to yell at the opponent's right fielder whenever he's out there. Sometimes it's nice stuff. Sometimes it's not so nice stuff. Sometimes it's just ridiculous, silly stuff just to try to get in his head or get his attention. It has been proven true that the more we get on to the opponent's right fielder, the better he plays in the game. So really we shouldn't do it. But when your 12 year old son is saying things like, hey, number three, there's a flaming bowling ball in the sky. What are you gonna do? You know he hears it. And you know he's like, what the heck is this kid talking about? So I coached Ethan a little bit. You know, you don't say, hey, you suck. You don't say, hey, your mama or stuff about their girlfriend. They hear that wherever people sit in the outfield and yell at the outfielders. It's not it's not a majority of the fields, but it's definitely at Mississippi State's field because the most people go to the baseball games there than anywhere, college, baseball. And, uh, you know, he he was, like, saying just simple things in his kid voice to him, and I was like, hey, if you want him to hear and pay attention, you got to say stuff that's just ridiculous, things that he would never expect someone to say. And man, if he did not start coming up with the weirdest things. <laughs> but the flaming bowling ball in the sky was my favorite. And, and you know, usually the outfield guys get into it. You know, sometimes they get mad. Uh, we offer them food. Sometimes they eat it. Sometimes they don't trust us. You know, that's neither here nor there. But. There was a lot of yelling. You know, if you're yelling at the ump, he's 150 yards across the field. So you got to yell loud. And when you're booing and yelling loud at the ump. Um, and you have all the grill smoke blowing from every direction. Because every rig, which is a uh, two-tiered um, area right up against the outfield fence where you can, like, watch the game. You're gonna get a horse, and so I'm I'm not as horse as I was this morning. 
<clears throat> I just ate some chocolate, a little piece of Easter chocolate to hopefully soothe my throat. Obviously, I have my, I've got an Arnold Palmer tonight. I've got my unsweet tea with lemonade, both from Mott's, M-O-T-T-S. I think I'll have a sip now. It'll probably go really good with chocolate, right? Oh my gosh, that's good. I'm going to run out. I'm going to run out fast. Uh, I won't be able to go make another one. All right, so none of this that I've said so far in four minutes and five seconds has anything to do with the subject matter of tonight's episode. And the episode was going to be about um, bizarre foods from around the world, things people eat that is not served in this country. And most of them that I went through the list weren't. But then I heard this song that I've been trying to find for over a month that I heard on one of the, uh, uh, I guess classic rock stations, but these days classic rock goes into the 2000s. Well, this song was from the late 90s, and I was, and I was, I was listening to it, I probably listened to it three times when I got home. Summer helped me figure it out, my daughter, my daughter. And uh, it went with traveling and this is something that I thought I'd covered but I didn't so without any further ado do tonight's episode is about hobos and I have a little experience I've done an episode or two that involved uh, riding freight trains because in college I rode a lot of freight trains and talked about it on some episodes but this is about the lifestyle, and it goes way further back than I realized. And there's a little more to it than I realized, and so I'm going to bring that to you now. A hobo, a rip, God, lady, y'all couldn't hear it, but that mule has been singing, screaming all night. Ruby the Screaming Mule, my neighbor's mule out there. Maybe it, well, it hadn't been raining hard. There's no lightning now. I mean, it has been screaming. There must be some coyotes out there or something, or deer. Or or maybe it's, oh, it's tied to a pine tree because it's been getting out. That's right. Whoops. Hope no uh, OSHA or ASPCA or whatever they're called. Hear this, or PETA. Well, we're not eating it. And this isn't an eating, eating things episode, but I sure am burning minutes. Uh, not getting into the hobo. So, <laughs> hobos originally were uh, migrant workers within the United States, and those that came from Mexico and the United States to work would ride trains if they needed to get further north and didn't feel like walking, and they usually would not get rides hitchhiking. But they were all looking, uh, they were, they were um, basically farmhands picking uh, vegetables and fruit mostly and cotton. But they, you know, they worked in the cattle industry also some. But these hobos were known as migrant workers, but they were also known as homeless vagrants. There was a three-tier um, definition to average people in the United States of hobos. 
you had your migrant worker who traveled by train for free. They just jumped on freight trains and avoided the uh, bulls, which were the men that threw people off of trains, sometimes beat them. Um, they were known to be violent. Then you have tramps who generally worked when they were forced to work, as in they needed money or food. Otherwise, they were living carefree. And then you had bums who just begged and did not work. But a hobo was considered a traveling worker. The word hobo is slang. It came from slang. No one's really sure exactly what hobo derived from, but several authors who were hobos, most of them, or cultural lovers of American culture, think the word hobo came from somewhere out west, likely California, possibly the northwest, as far back as the 1890s. It was noticed. And they think it either came from the term ho-boy, as in a boy or man who used a hoe as a tool, H-O-E, to work a farm, a ho-boy meaning a farmhand back then, or it was thought to have come from a greeting in that industry, in that travel, from ho-boy. But then that was the railroad greeting. There was another thought that it came from ho-bo as a greeting to a person, B-E-A-U, hey bo. Because when I live in South Carolina, hey bo, hey bo. It's just instead of saying, hey man, they, everybody was bo. I don't know if they spelled it B-O or B-E-A-U. Here it has ho-bo. And then they also my possibly think it came from an abbreviation of homeward bound hobo someone headed home i don't know if it was that one also there's another one i forgot about this one um it could be short from the words instead of homeward bound from homeless boy and it wasn't young people that were these traveling workers it was all ages up into elders actually now here's the thing that blew me away you know, I'm thinking it started in the 1900s, 20s, 30s, really, when it became a noticeable big deal of men riding trains around the country, finding work, or just living the lifestyle. It started at the end of the Civil War. When the men were discharged from the war, from their service, they didn't have ways home, especially those in the South. And I've read about this. When Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia finally surrendered in 65, 1865, they turned in their rifles. They might have let, let them keep a few guns, but I'm pretty sure they made, made them turn in their uh, weaponry. And said, okay, later. And they couldn't, there were no trucks or cars or buses to take them home across the South 
even as far as Texas or Florida, because this was in Northern Virginia. Uh, and even though there were railroads in the Eastern U.S., because of the war, the rail lines in the South had been pulled up around all the major cities. So there were no trains running around the South because they had no railroad tracks, not a continuous line anywhere. And so they walked for days, weeks, maybe longer. I had heard from my neighbor, Greg Harkins, the rocket chair maker. God bless him. He knows a little bit of everything. One day, uh, not that long ago, we were standing somewhere on his property and there was a real big thistle. And he cut the thistle off with his little belt knife at the ground and broke off the top and, and he pared away the outer surface of the thistle stalk. Then he cut it into uh, you know lengths and split it and took a bite. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? He goes, try it. I was like, well, you ate it, I'll try it, and I bit it. It's just like celery. Thistle, which looks very uninviting, although the bloom is beautiful, tastes just like celery. Maybe a little sweeter. I guess it depends on the thistle and what it's grow where it's growing. Well, it's said when these Confederate veterans who had just been discharged or paroled were walking home, it was spring, April, 1865, like I said, they're all walking home because there's no rail lines. And the thistles were up everywhere in all the fields, and that's what they ate. And it is said that it saved many a man's life from starvation. Probably more than just the uh, soldiers walking home, probably people that were uh, destitute in the South and lost everything. You know, you you know, all the animals, all the crops had been eaten by either side. Anyway, neither here nor there, we gotta get back into the hobos. The northern soldiers took trains home. They were probably given trains home. But mainly after the war, for the next five years plus, they were building railroads to the west. And people who had nothing holding them back hopped freight trains or if they had money got on rail cars and went west. And there was still Indians killing Indians back then out there. And they get out there and they're more alien than the than the other tribe in the next uh riverbed system that they're competing with for food and horses. Anyway, that was a violent time just like the war. There's nothing to do with railroads unless you're getting run over by the railroad or the railroad bull is beating you with a stick for riding his train. Man, I'm blowing time on this thing. Anyway, thanks for bearing with me. If you got a lot of time to listen, I have a lot of words to say. Let's get back up in here. They took the railway west all throughout the latter half of the 19th century and the number of hobos increased every decade until the Great Depression 
where there were not quite a million. I think the biggest numbers I'd seen listed was 700,000 hobos riding around the country looking for work or just having fun. Um, you know, the depression, there weren't work, work prospects at most homes, and so they jumped on freight trains for free and went elsewhere looking. Now, a hobo's life was not the safest life. You know, these hobos were itinerant, poor, far from home, without support. You had the hostility of the train crews and the town uh, law officials, railroad security staff, also known as bulls, who were very violent against the trespassers. Not all of them, but there's a movie with Ernest Borgnine as one against... Uh, Lee Marvin. Um, it's said that riding on a freight train is dangerous. I know this for a fact, but I never saw anything bad happen. Not to me. We had a, uh, had a friend of mine try to get on a train and his foot went through the, uh, the drop ring where you put your foot to get on and the bottom of his boot hit the wheel on the side. And then we had another uh, friend fall off of a train trying to get on in his head supposedly had amnesia for 30 minutes or 20 minutes but or an hour but I was on the train I did not fall off I think that was the day we got arrested for riding on the train alright there's an author of an autobiography called Super Tramp about hobos who lost a foot when he fell while trying to jump on the train and it took his foot off. Um, it's also easy to get trapped between cars and if it's really cold and the train's you know, moving through freezing weather, you can freeze to death. And then there were these cars called freezer cars that they would load with ice. And if you were inside it and didn't know and it got loaded up with ice, you'd be crushed. And if you didn't die then, you'd freeze to death or bleed out or both. But those were in the old days. People were probably say, oh, I just lost a limb. Stitch it up. I got things to do. Everybody was tough back then, not like now. People is not so tough right now. Not as many people. So on the end of World War II, the railroads transitioned from steam engines, which I thought they'd have been running diesel before World War II, but no, they ran steam engines in, into the mid-40s, and then they started using diesel engines, and that made freight trains go much faster. They had more power. That declined the number of hobos. It was harder to catch a train and get on it, unless you caught it in town while it was going slow, but then you could get caught. Um... After the Vietnam War, the hobo numbers rose again, and there was even a uh, was it a chapter, a club, some kind of club of Vietnam veteran hoboers who rode freight trains, mostly out west. I guess they'd come east some, it didn't say. They did it because they were disillusioned with the society, and why wouldn't Vietnam vets be disillusioned with American society. American society was trained by the news and morons in culture to hate them, and all they were doing was their duty. 
as their government told them to do and then hung them out to dry. Of course, there wasn't a labor issue either, and so that was even fewer hobos. The king of the hobo time was definitely the Depression. I might even look over the uh, famous hobo people. There's only a couple that anyone would know. Jack Kerouac, Marlon Brando, uh, J.D. Salinger? No, there was a writer. He wrote about it. Grapes of Wrath writer. Anyway, um... Almost from the beginning of the existence of hobos, as soon as the 1870s, it had been reported that hobos communicated with each other with cryptic hobo signs. This would be scratched or chalked symbols or code words on water towers or signs at the end of rail yards, etc., or edges, edges of towns. And then I've read a lot where that was embellished by writers. There was some, but it wasn't like a countrywide code. Some signs that were seen and used a lot was a triangle with hands that was left near a home, which meant that homeowner had a gun. You would think most of them had a gun. Um, a horizontal zigzag signified a barking dog. <laughs> I don't know why that's... I guess so. You'd stay away so you don't want to be barked at and found out. Because they did sneak around being thought of as bums and tramps. Whereas a lot of them were looking for work. But either way, they weren't working at the time. A circle with two parallel arrows meant get out fast because hobos aren't welcome here. A cat signified that a kind lady lived in the area. <laughs> I'm sure that... <laughs> Like they drew a cat. But it's thought that it was embellished through popular culture. A lot of the, there was a lot more signs. A lot, you know, the Hobo Museum in Iowa supposedly has a long list of them. Now there was a hobo union created in the 1800s, late 1800s. And they came up with this list of ethics to dodge anti-vagrancy laws. And it was uh, released in the 1889 National Hobo Convention. Didn't say where it was. But here's this list of the ethics of hobos. One, you decide your own life and don't let another person run it or rule you. Two, when in town, always respect the local law and officials and try to be a gentleman at all times. Three, do not take advantage of someone who is in a vulnerable situation, locals or other hobos. I'm sure that one went over well. Four, always try to find work, even if temporary, and always seek out jobs nobody wants. They're easier to get. Five, when no employment is available, make your own work by using your added talents as at crafts. So what would that be? What would their craft be? How to make a stick shelter in the woods. Six, do not allow yourself to become a stupid drunk and set a bad example for locals' treatments or other hobos. Seven, when jungling in town, which is basically camping, 
Respect handouts and do not wear them out. Another hobo will be coming along who will also need them as badly as yourself. Number eight, I'm losing count. Always respect nature. Do not leave garbage where you are jungling, a.k.a. camping. Nine, if in a community jungle, always pitch in and help, however possible. Ten, try to stay clean and boil up whenever possible. I guess that means boil up means wash your clothes. Eleven, when traveling, ride your train respectfully. Take no personal chances. Cause no problems with the operating crew or a railroad. Act like an extra crew member. Hmm. Twelve, do not cause problems in the train yard. Another hobo will be coming along will need the passage through the yard and does not want to get his bee busted by a bull. I added that. Thirteen, do not allow other hobos to molest children. Expose all molesters to authorities. They are the worst garbage to infest society. Amen is still infesting the society of this world now, but it's getting uprooted, thank God. It'll never be fully uprooted, but the big, the big wheels are being broken. Fourteen, help all runaway children and try to induce them to return home. I don't like the word induce there, but yeah, try to get them to go home would be best, yes. Fifteen, help your fellow hobos whenever and wherever needed. You may need their help someday. Man, these are almost tenets of life. So they teach this in school. Sixteen, I think, alas. If present at a hobo court and you have testimony, give it. Whether for or against the accused, your voice counts. Interessante. Don't save. Click. All right. Now. What's our time? Because we still got lots of hobo stuff to talk about. We got time. I've got a long list of hobo terminology that apparently was used throughout the Depression into the 1940s. An accommodation car was a caboose, and Angelina was a young, inexperienced child, I guess hoboing, wow. A bad road was a train line rendered useless by some hobo's bad deed. A banjo was basically a coal shovel or a frying pan. Um, a barnacle was a person who sticks to one job for over a year. A beachcomber is a hobo who hangs around docks or seaports, and I guess beaches? The big house, prison, or jail. A bindle stick is a collection of belongings wrapped in cloth and tied around a stick. You see it in cartoons a thousand times. A bindle stiff is a hobo who carries a bindle stick and his bindle. <laughs> Blowing in the glass is a genuine, trustworthy individual. Bo, B-O, is the common way one hobo might refer to another. Boil up, here we go. Boil up is to boil one's clothes to kill lice and their eggs, <laughs> to get them as clean as possible. A bone polisher is a mean dog. A bone orchard is a graveyard. Man, I love American slang. A bull is a railroad officer. Bullets are beans. A buck is a Catholic priest, good for a dollar, whatever that means. A burger is today's lunch. 
C-H-N-D indicates that one is cold, hungry, and dry, meaning thirsty. California blankets are newspapers, awesome. Calling in is using another campfire to warm up or cook. A cannonball is a fast train, yeah. Carrying the banner is keeping in motion so as to avoid being picked up, picked up by loitering or to keep from freezing. Freezing. Catch the westbound means dying. Chuck a dummy means to pretend to faint. I love it. Chuck a dummy. Yo, damn Bob chucked a dummy over on the side of the football field because he didn't want to go play. He pretended to faint. Uh, cooties are body lice. Cover with the moon means to sleep out in the open. A cow crate is a railroad stock car. Crumbs are lice. A do-can-do berry is anything edible that grows on a riverbank. A do-can-do berry. Anything that grows on a riverbank. Hmm. Dog in it is traveling by bus, the greyhound. An easy mark is a hobo sign or mark that identifies a person or place that one can get food or stay overnight. Elevated means drunk or on drugs. Flip means to board a moving train. Flop is a place to sleep, like a flop house, a cheap motel. Glad rags are one's best clothes. Graybacks are lice. Grease the track is to be run over by a train, yow. Gump is a chicken. Honey dipping, working with a shovel in the sewer. Oh yeah, the honey. <laughs> the honey, what's it called? The honey truck? The honey, damn it, honey pot? No. The honey honey wagon is the sewer truck. Ugh. Hot, a fugitive hobo or a hot meal. Hot shot is a train with a priority freight that doesn't stop as often. It's pretty much a cannonball. A jungle is an area off a railroad where hobos camp and hang out. A jungle buzzer is a hobo or tramp who preys on his own. The knowledge bus is a school bus used for shelter. A maive is a young hobo, or which is usually a girl. Main drag is the busiest road in town. Moniker, or as hobo said, Monica, is a nickname. Mulligan stew is a community stew where several hobos put in whatever they have and they make a stew out of it. Nickel note is a $5 bill. On the fly is jumping a moving train. Padding the hoof is to travel by foot. Possum belly is to ride on the roof of a passenger car. You have to lie flat on your stomach to avoid being blown off. A pullman is a sleeper car. Hobos usually did not get inside one. A punk is any young kid. A reefer is a refrigerator car. A road kid is a young hobo who apprentices to an older hobo to learn the ways. A road stake is a small amount of money a hobo may keep in case of emergency. A rum dum is a drunkard. A sky pilot is a preacher or minister. A soup bowl is a place to get soup, bread, and drinks. Snipes are cigarette butts that had been sniped. They usually come from ashtrays and sidewalks or the road. Spare biscuits is looking for food in a garbage can. Stimming is panhandling or begging along the streets. A toque blanket is drinking alcohol to stay warm. Jack Kerouac used to write about toque. But he was talking about, I mean, he hitchhiked 
He rode trains, he walked. But he always talked about Toke Port Wine, I think. I don't know. Yeg is a traveling professional thief or burglar. Yep. That's them things. And we'll finish off with a couple of well-known people who hoboed back in their day. Jack London. There he is. Robert Mitchum. Uh, Carl Sandburg. Jack Kerouac. Woody Guthrie. William O. Douglas, the Supreme Court Justice. Jack Dempsey. Um, I don't see any more that anyone would know. Okay, there are a ton of books written about hoboing. There are a handful of comics, a handful of documentaries. Um, Charlie Chaplin's Little Tramp is named after a hobo or was a hobo. Um, Red Skelton, Freddy the Freeloader, hobo. A lot of movies about hobos. I mean, a lot. That's a lot of movies. Um, some musical artists, Jimmy Rogers, Boxcar Willie, um, Railroad Earth, Baby Gramps, a whole bunch of songs. Some TV shows, not many. One stage show. But that's your hobos, people. That just blows me away that it started. But it makes sense. It started when railroads started. People used to ride trains. We did it for fun in college. This would have been in the late 1980s. We didn't do it so much in the early 90s. You know, 80... 87, 88, 89, maybe 90. And then I think kind of paired off from doing it by then. I'd done it enough through all those years. Graduated to more important things like chasing women and I guess drinking. I mean, I wasn't a drinker until I went to college. And then I got out of college and just... My drinking tailed off over 18 years where I didn't drink anymore. Because I haven't drank in 20 years. Not, not, I haven't gotten drunk in 20 years. I've had a sip. Every few months I might have a sip of something. It's been a long time. I don't, it's just, it's not for me. Um, I don't think I'd jump a train either, you know, but never say never. Wow. My voice doesn't feel too bad. I've had, just over the weekend, I've had like mm, 60, 70 listens on my various episodes. I sure appreciate y'all. I hope you're entertained. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it, but I like to talk. I like to meet people. Um, I often thought maybe I'd be an entertainer at some point in my life. You know, I've written books and had people read them and enjoy them, although I'm not a 
published author. I'm self-published. And I do art and sell that and people enjoy it. I guess that's entertainment. Um, play music, but never for money or in crowds. Not for a long, long time. I always thought that'd be neat. It's not possible right now. Raising kids, and that's priority. So let's let's use that as a jumping off point. If you're a parent, that is your number one priority. It's not sticking Botox in your face. It's not planning that trip to Las Vegas alone or whatever. If you had kids, it is your job to take care of them and raise them and spend as much time as possible with them because it will not last. They will grow up and have their own lives and be gone. And you'll talk to them and they'll visit. But while you got them as kids, you best hang on. I, you know, I know people who chose themselves while their kids are still young, but they chose themselves to separate or divorce or to run off and chose to have their kids half the time instead of full time, which means half the nights of the week instead of having your kids under your roof every night of the week. And how someone can choose that is beyond me. It is beyond me. I don't I don't need to go to Europe and backpack the old country. I don't need to go to Japan. I don't need to go to Australia and I don't need to go see the world. I need to see my kids grow up. And I'm lucky enough being divorced not by choice, really. I mean, I guess I could be separated. I would be separated for sure since, since, uh, let's say the one who chose to have kids half the time so they could pursue their personal whatevers. That just blows me away. And you're running. Where are you running to? Where are you running to? We'll see how they can do it. But I'm lucky enough to where one of my two will not stay at the other place. And so I have her in-house every night except every other weekend when their mom will take them to granddad's or some other place without you know, what she's wrapped up in now, which is finding out more and more a mystery. <laughs> but I'm glad I'm not part of it. I'm glad I have her more than I would have had, you know, the ex not made poor choices.
But that's not my problem. So hug your kids. Do not abandon them. Half a time, quarter a time, eighth of a time. I don't see how anyone can do it. I do not see how anyone can do it. They must have their heads up their ass and smell rose. They must love it. I don't get it. You got parents alive, you better call them tomorrow and say hi. Tell them you love them. Ask them if they need anything. You have friends you hadn't talked to in a long time, get in touch with them. You may have lots. Just do one or two. Send them a, I mean, gosh, everyone's on the internet now. At least write them an internet note. And I'm sure there's more proper term for that, but I, I'm not concerned about it. And here is where we make the world a better place. We do the ripple of kindness. I say it at the end of every episode. I drag this thing to 40 minutes saying this at every episode. You be kind to strangers in the grocery store, at the post office, at sporting events. Meet people. Be kind. Help. Smile. Kind words. You know, shake hands, bump fists, as most people do because of the stupid COVID scamdemic. But when you're kind to people who don't know you, then they know that there's kind people out there they don't know. That must be more kind people out there. And it makes them want to be kind too. And so it ripples out and the world becomes a kinder place. I already live in the most kind state in the Union, here in the Deep South, in the middle of Mississippi. We are the hospitality state. And we are called that because we are the most hospitable people in this country. I've lived around this country. I've, I, I moved back here. I don't have an ocean here. I don't have mountains here. But the food and the friendliness and the feeling of family, even if they're not your family, is so thick here. It's so good. And the hunting is excellent, by the way. That's what took over surfing. When surfing took over golf. And golf took over baseball. So, be kind. Ripple out. I made this go way long. And then I want you to enjoy this song. I'm not going to play the whole song. You can look it up. But uh, I wish you all prosperity and peace.
see the road.